Hey there, it's Phil Harwood. Just want to take a quick minute before we begin today's podcast episode and talk to you about our live and in-person events. We had three events scheduled for 2021. We've already had two of them. Our Inner Circle, sponsored by VentTrack event, was very well attended and was a great event. And uh, just recently, we had our Forum for Sales event, sponsored by SnowX, sold out. Uh, We had a great event there as well. We have one more event coming up. It's called Grounds in Institutional Management. It's really focused on site um, issues, operations, engineering, equipment, everything having to do with with running a snow event and planning for events. This is going to be September 8th and 9th at Milton Cat in Milford, Massachusetts, just outside of Boston. So we hope to see you there. Registration is open right now at snowfightersinstitute.com. Welcome to the Snowfighters Institute podcast where we hear directly from some of the most interesting people in the professional snow and ice management industry to learn about their successes, to hear about the challenges they faced along the way, and to have their perspective on critical issues facing our industry today. I'm your host, Phil Harwood. Before I introduce today's special guest, I'd like to invite you to follow our social media feeds And check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Well, hey, everyone. Super excited to welcome Frank Lombardo, founder and CEO of Weatherworks. My name is Phil Harwood, if we haven't met. And Frank, I just want to say thank you so much. I know you're a busy man and it's a busy time of year, but I'm excited to have this wonderful conversation about um, your story because it's really interesting, at least to me, and I'm sure it will be to our listeners as well. And and just to really help us understand this this, uh, very important world of weather to us and how it affects our business. So just thank you so much for being here today. Well, uh, yeah, I think the honor is more mine than yours. Uh, you know, this is, this is a privilege. Uh, thank, uh, thank you, uh, Phil. Thank you, uh, Snowfighters Institute. Um, great organization. And, um, you know, it's part of the industry that we love so much. So, uh, so let's, let's, let's talk about it. Yeah, I want to start um, because I'm always interested um, with someone's background. And yours is really interesting to me because you know, I remember sitting in elementary school, maybe second or third grade, and you get the teacher, what does everyone want to be when they grow up? And I'm, I'm pretty sure I told everyone I wanted to be a professional hockey player, uh, which didn't happen. Uh, but there were probably lots of, you know, firefighters and, you know, nurses and stuff like that, and doctors, and uh, maybe not so much on the lawyers. But um, I never heard anyone say, I want to be a meteorologist. So I'm like, <laughs> really interested to, to hear your story. <laughs> Well, well, you know, when you said that, uh, you know, you wanted to be a professional hockey player, I know that all my friends knew that that was not on my list, okay, (laughs) Uh, nor professional baseball player. Uh, But I'll tell you, by the time I was probably 16, um, I think, um, uh, you know, my vision was meteorology. It was just something that I'd 
loved all my life and um, certainly felt that um, that passion was going to carry me into, into college. Uh, it probably started out really as a kid. And this is not uncommon to meteorologists. They get the bug okay. early, but uh, my, my, my earliest uh, memory of the meteorology part is there was a hurricane. I grew up in New Jersey, in New Brunswick, home of Rutgers University. Uh, and I'm in an elementary school and we're in the middle of the, the start of a hurricane. But it was a time when um, you went to school and then school got canceled. Um, after, after the storm, after the storm was certain to hit. Yeah, they don't do when, that anymore, do they? <laughs> yeah, that's when they stopped school. Um, uh, so I'm in, I'm in the class looking at this horizontal rain crashing into the window, excited as anything. And they, and they call school and you have to walk home in these 40 to 70 mile an hour winds. And we're on the way home, me and my two older siblings, and on our way home as we're walking in tandem, all holding each other's hands, trying to walk and run through this rain and wind, a tree falls about 30, 40 feet behind me. And I let go of my brother's hand and the two older siblings run ahead of me and go home while I turn around and I stare at this tree go, oh my God, that's phenomenal. This is the best thing in the world. And I'm out there in the middle of it all. You know, as, 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 as a uh, seven-year-old kid, you got no fear. <laughs> There's no fear. Mm -hmm. You just run home and think you just saw the best thing in your life. Uh, I get home to hear my mom yelling at my two older siblings why they left uh, young Frank behind a few blocks away. <laughs> but from that moment on, I just became obsessed with weather. And of course, we didn't have the technology we have now. So for me, that meant, hey, radio, radio, listen to a radio forecast, listen, pick up a forecast, any forecast I can. And, and, and I realized how much excitement there was in snow. And of course, as a, as a grammar school kid, what's the best thing about snow is school's canceled the next oh, day. Yeah. So I, I just became, I, I, I consider myself becoming a meteorologist at that point. Nice. That's awesome. And, and it just, it just basically, you know, it grew with me. My mom had a little bit to do with it because she was born in this small town right next to Punxsutawney, Pennsylvania. So I give her a little bit of credit, but uh, I just, uh, I've always loved weather. And what can you say? And I just love snow. So I wonder if there's a tree guy in your hometown who had the same, who had uh, walked home <laughs> for, in the same storm, but went home and got a chainsaw. <laughs> that would be interesting so where do you go to school to become a meteorologist what do you study and like walk us through your educational journey where do you go to school I know you went you have a graduate degree as well kind of what does that look like well I um I went to you know I started the my education at Kane College my first um I would I, I was desperate for some meteorology knowledge other than what I can pick up in magazines or on the radio, <clears throat> excuse me. And I was fortunate that our high school science teacher actually had a meteorology club that he developed. So as a junior and senior in high school, I really became interested in meteorology. He encouraged me to attend Kane University in New Jersey. Uh, they were developing their first meteorology program 
I became the first of eight graduates. Um, oh, that's cool. In that in 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 high school in um, at Kane University. I'm sorry. Uh, and from there, I um, I applied to the uh, University of Chicago because I was really became interested in severe weather. And at that time, at the University of Chicago, um, uh, T. Theodore Fujita. Some of you might have heard the term, the Fujita scale for tornadoes. Well, he's the one that developed the scale hmm. and I wanted to study there. Well, there were no assistantships or no grad assistantships oh, left. Okay. Uh, and so I was offered, yeah, you can come, but you have to pay full tuition. And I said, Ouch. no, I can't afford full tuition. So they referred me to, the, uh, to Texas Tech, which was um, in the Southern Plains in Lubbock. Uh, and they were studying tornadoes. Once again, I lucked out. First meteorology program for Texas Tech. Uh, they were looking for students and um, gave me a full um, a scholarship to attend. Oh, wow. And from, from there, I studied tornadoes. The funny thing at Texas Tech was that the curriculum was about atmospheric vortices or tornadoes. But the weather, the actual weather that occurred, the time that I was there, they had their earliest snowstorm ever, their heaviest snowstorm ever, their biggest ice storm ever. <laughs> and, and I just kept getting immersed in snow rather than severe weather. And you realize snow is where it's at. <laughs> so when, when I left, I basically uh, was hired by a company that was forecasting uh, snow and snowstorms hmm. for um, snow plowing contractors and highway departments in New Jersey. Uh, and after 10 years in that partnership, um, uh, built another firm, which I own today, that's called WeatherWorks. So yes. that's, that's the short history. Yeah, we'll talk about WeatherWorks in, in a minute here. Um, I also want to hear about your um, affiliation and, and what you've done through professional associations, because I know you have a certification in, um, in, in that area and just intrigued by that as well. Um, so sure. what, is, what is that all about? Yeah, Phil, the, the primary organization that certifies various um, SEALs is the American Meteorological Society. Uh, that's the group, the professional society that certifies uh, the broadcasters that you see on TV. Mm -hmm. It's also the group that certifies um, commercial meteorologist and consulting meteorologist. The board that certifies the consulting meteorologist is made up of four members that test meteorologists annually. And there are about 500 what are called or what are de designated as certified consulting meteorologists. Hmm. And I do have that. That's the highest certification of the American Meteorological Society. Nice. A lot of work getting it. Um, it requires years of experience, but it also requires um, a long testing process over the course of a year and an in-person review in front of this board or panel, oh, wow. okay. uh, which is pretty, pretty so good. It's no joke. Uh, it's no joke, but there was one question I remember during my in-person review. And you know, when you're, when you're at these high level um, uh, reviews where you're defending yourself, you question every question. And one of the questions was, seemed too simple. And it was, well, what happens 
the day after winter, does are there more hours in the day or less hours in the day? And I'm thinking, this is have to be a trick question. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, there's only 24 hours in the day. Right. <laughs> I answered, there's only 24 hours in the day. And I remember one of the board members looking at me as if I was trying to be smart about the question. Mm-hmm. And the question really meant, well, is there more daylight? Is the, right. sun's, is the sun's angle higher? <laughs> but and they didn't I ask that. A, I thought that was such an obvious answer that I tried answering it. Inc- I answered it incorrectly. But that was one of the only questions I got wrong on on the hundred hundred question um, uh, test. Oh, that that's I had hilarious! Wow. But, um, but it all worked out well. It's a certification that I use a lot when I testify in court. Um, when I work on forensic cases that involve slip and falls, et cetera. Well, you know, I think most of our listeners um, are involved in associations, um, at least as our target audience, and, and they know the value of, of absolutely yeah, peer networking and being current on what the latest issues are and the latest technologies. And, and I'm sure that's no different in, the, in your world as well. Um, I'm interested about your business, Weatherworks. You know, you didn't go to business school. And, and so at some point you decided to start a business and became a business owner. So uh, tell us about that. Well, I mean, you know, I'm not sure which, where you learn faster, if you learn faster by making mistakes or if you learn faster by, uh, uh, by getting the education. <clears throat> There's probably a nice blend in there. Um, but I made, I made plenty of mistakes. Um, uh, the, the, I, I guess the one thing I did right immediately was I made a commitment uh, both to myself and to my clients to, to, to really focus on customer service. I would always get upset when I was dealing with a business owner and felt that uh, I was in some way some inferior customer. Um, so from, from day one, and even today, our WeatherWorks mission has always been, let's be the best at communicating weather data. Um, We can't promise that our forecasts are always going to be 100% accurate, but we can be the best at communicating that information. We can tell you that um, uh, this is is what the magnitude of this event might be, but here's what's happening and here's how it might affect you. Uh, and learn the industry. Don't just learn the weather, but convey the information in the language of the client. So if I'm t- if I'm speaking to an attorney, the message is different than I'm, if I'm speaking to a snowplowing contractor. Um, and understanding their needs has really proven to be a very successful uh, reason that we've been successful, mm-hmm. um, and we've um, maintained that. Uh, mission today. We want to be the best at providing that message to our clients so they can make those critical related weather decisions. That's an awesome foundational principle. Um, and I'm curious about how, how long has WeatherWorks been in business? And, and I'm also curious about your original vision for the business and how different is the business today than maybe what you thought it might be when you started it? Well, I mean, we started in 1986. Um, 
and the business began with a handful of snowplowing contractors, literally a handful. Um, the nice thing is that most of that handful, maybe all of them are still our clients today. They oh, wow. have been diehard through second and third That's generations, cool. um, but they're still clients today, along with a couple of municipalities uh, that first year or two. Um, it, it has, the, the business of meteorology has evolved uh, from a lot of handholding because the knowledge base amongst our users and the consumers um, was really minimal uh, 30 years ago, mm -hmm. uh, 35 years ago. Um, the audience has a higher level of meteorological education now. So in order to be the best at communicating weather information to them, th there's a greater need to provide um, faster information, uh, more detailed information, better resolution. Um, uh, it's the faster information that clients really demand these days. Uh, and our challenge has been, how do we do this? How do we keep up with this train wreck of technology, this, this, this uh, grand amount of weather data that's heading mm -hmm. in our direction? Mm -hmm. And in our clients' direction, um, I I was recently um, several months ago at the beginning of the uh, spring, actually right before our COVID shutdown pretty much started. Uh, I spoke to a group of contractors and asked them, "How many of you in the room have a weather app?" Well, everybody raised their hands. There's 30 people in there, contractors and DPW directors. And then I went on, "How many have two? How many have three? And slowly people would lower their hands. How many have four? How many have five? And most people lowered their hands. There were two individuals that had six weather apps on their phone. And my final question to them was, well, how do you ever make a decision? How do you ever, you know, what do you trust? And they really didn't have a good answer for that. They, more isn't always better, but there is just so much data out there that that's become our biggest challenge. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, we all see that, um, right? We've all experienced that. I grew up in, in Grand Rapids, Michigan, and we, in downtown, on top of one of the tallest buildings in town was a weather ball. So you've mm. probably seen these, right? Just yes. you know, green, red, or blue, either, either solid or flashing. And that's all you get. <laughs> <laughs> and actually, the weather ball still exists. It's one of the local TV stations. They moved it out near the highway. It's not downtown anymore because... You know, it's more visible out there, major highway. And so it looks really awesome. You know, it's just bright and glowing and, and it's always fun to see it, but it's, it's so minimal information, right? It's such minimalistic information. It's, you know, it's going to be two degrees warmer tomorrow. You don't even know that. You just know it's going to be warmer, colder, but, um, but truly what's aside from just having information overload, what's the, what's the harm in people having more information, it seems like that's a good thing. Well, I mean, it's, it's, it's a good thing, but there's education that goes along with, with information. Um, during, um, you turn on the TV and you see someone show you a map and it looks like there's 30 inches of snow forecast 
in a certain geographic region of the country. Now this literally happened two weeks ago. Um, two weeks ago, the computer models were forecasting 30 inches of snow to fall across central Indiana. Two weeks later, when that storm occurred, anywhere from one to seven inches fell in parts of Ohio, okay? Um, so the amount of snow forecast in some of these storms and some of this data, um, the, the, the probability of occurrence is very low in a 14-day forecast. But does the audience understand that? Do they understand that um, um, uh, this event might have a margin of error of 300 miles or 500 miles. Unlike when you look at that hurricane cone of uh, um, the, the track that the hurricane center puts out every year and, and you see this hurricane coming up, everyone talks about the cone of reliability mm -hmm. saying that, hey, 72 hours, this is the center. Don't focus on the center because the margin of error is 300 miles. We have an understanding with hurricanes, but when it comes to snowstorms, we don't, we seem not to have that same understanding. Um, so uh, the hype creates a lot of mistrust in the forecast because there's a greater, there's, there, there's this confusion that's created with the hype and the hype typically doesn't occur. How many 30-inch snowstorms do we get in a year? Well, we probably average one every 10 years or one every seven years. But if the computer model forecasts two of these a year, the chances are that's not happening. Um, but it's difficult making a consumer understand that. Um, so I, I think there's too much data. I don't mind that the client has data, but they should focus on one product that they that they trust and they should learn about that product as much as they can uh, on what the reliability of that product is. I've heard some speakers um, talking before about just the hype in the news about, about weather from the, you know, the folks on TV, right? Um, sure. Really being driven from the top down, being almost mandated. Have you, have you seen that or have you, do you have examples of, or I, I mean, talk, I, talk to us I, about I, that? I, 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 I've not seen studies on it, but I have seen, uh, I, I do believe that uh, a lot of the, the, the weather, people watch weather on local news, TV stations. And if there's a storm, they'll stick around. And the objective and the goal is get that viewer mm -hmm. to stay, stay on that TV channel, stay on that channel and watch the forecast. Mm -hmm. So do I believe there's hype? Yes, I believe that there is hype that's not necessary. Um, now, sometimes it's, it's accurate information. The information that's displayed might be accurate in the sense that, hey, there's a computer model and this is what is forecast for our area. Um, but there's additional information that might be left out. Uh, there are three computer models that don't forecast this for your area. Right, um, right. Yeah, they never uh, tell you that. 
Right. They, they're exactly. So, but in order to have that full picture, you need to be a more educated consumer and know that these 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 variations occur with these type of models, um, and they're frequent. Um, years ago, uh, here in New Jersey, there was a uh, client, uh, a county road department that's a client of ours, and. I did a, a study for them for the winter season um, just to demonstrate the amount of hype in even a National Weather Service forecast. Uh, the average snowfall for this county is about 25 to 30 inches. However, if you went back and added up all the forecast that oh, there was snow all the, in the, the hype factor. Period, it added up to over a hundred inches. Oh my God. So, so there, there's, there's a phenomenon or not a phenomenon, but there's a problem in forecast that uh, customers and the public has to understand. There's a false alarm rate mm -hmm. in forecasting weather events. So I'm putting two and two together here. So, so you not only have to inform your clients about what's happening you have to re-educate them yes we have, <laughs> which we is have, more difficult we, we have to tell them what exactly and that's become more difficult see in 1986 it was full trust frank i trust you you're the expert uh, my knowledge is limited now there's some mistrust now this is what we hear uh, frank i trust you but the weather channel says this, but my weather app says this. Frank, my weather app shows blue coming our way. That's snow. You're telling me the snow is still three hours away. Then I have to say, well, that blue is definitely on the radar, but it's not reaching the ground. It's up at 7,000 feet because that's where the radar beam is hitting the cloud. Ah, it okay. doesn't know that the air is dry underneath and that snow's evaporating. And so, I, so I have to come back and say, well, you might get a flurry, but you're accumulating snow still two, three hours away. So that never existed 25 years ago or 20 right. years ago, or even, you know, this is really the last 10 years of technology that has changed these briefings. Uh, so our weather briefings have to change and the way we communicate with clients have to change. Uh, and there's, there's this level of kind of understanding that has to be developed between the public and the meteorologist. Hmm. Do you want the, do you want to hear about all the false alarms? And let me give you an example. Um, the national weather service has a very high false alarm rates for tornadoes. Okay. But they hardly ever miss a tornado forecast. Okay. So in order not to miss an event, you need a very high false alarm rate. Mm -hmm. If you lower your false alarm rate, you're going to miss an event, but your accuracy is much better. Sure. Because when I call a client and say, hey, there's going to be a tornado, I'm pretty sure, but I'm going to miss some events. <laughs> And do you want a do you want to miss a tornado? That's the question that becomes 
society that's society's question and in the snow industry that's the snow industry's question that i keep asking our clients do you want me to miss an event yeah. uh because some of them say no but then if i have them at a property two hours early and it costs them two thousand dollars because we're two hours late they go frank you just cost me two thousand dollars i said well did you want do you want to miss an event because if you want to miss an event mm -hmm then I'll make sure that I only, we only give you a forecast when we're 100% sure that that event is going to affect your property. And guess what most of them tell me? No, we don't want to miss an event. <laughs> Never right? mind, we're good. <laughs> However, when they do miss an event, they still call me up and say, and no, when, they, when, when they get called in early, they still call me up and say, Frank, now this just happened, this, past weekend in Boston, mm -hmm. all right? And hopefully you have some of my Boston clients that um, uh, will listen to this podcast. We had a high magnitude potential event for Boston, two to three hours of potential heavy snow in this kind of scenario that could have produced as much as six inches of snow. We knew there was a risk that if the rain continued to mix in, those areas near Boston and Eastern Mass would get hardly any snow. Mm -hmm. But do we tell our clients hardly any snow or do we prepare them for three to six inches? We, we went back and forth over this for half a day and decided let's just go with the three to six inches. Inland areas, 20 miles west of Boston, all worked out fine, maybe a little lighter than we were expecting, but they all plowed there all got snow, they all got covered up. Boston never went completely to snow, didn't even get an inch of snow. So our forecast busted, mm -hmm. but that's, that's the false alarm rate that our business model revolves around. And it doesn't work for everyone. And, uh, but I'm, I'm just being transparent here. That's, that's, that's typically our, our, our message to our client has to be that that potential exists. Anyway. Well, those are good examples of that consulting, of the full explanation, probabilities, percentages, you know, trade-offs um, versus, you know, just, just pulling up whatever shows up on your app and running with it, right? Checking mm -hmm. your six apps, averaging them to, uh, together and, and right. whatever. Um, so, uh, so some of our listeners may not be all that familiar with Weatherworks or may have heard of it, but what, what are some of the core services? And is it, is it weatherworks.com, the website, if someone wanted to go it's check Weatherworks it out? Inc. It's weatherworksinc.com. Okay, perfect. And um, uh, there's an expl explanation of services there. We are really a, a full service uh, <clears throat> weather consulting firm, um, but our focus is snow and ice. Our focus is snow and ice industry, uh, but there are other industries that, we provide services to, um, we provide um, historical information. Uh, so historical climatological records um, mm -hmm. um, for industries, including the snow and ice industry. As you know, uh, Phil, we provided you with some of that information. Those are the uh, certified snow totals. Right, certified snowfall totals. Um, um, 20 year, 30 year averages, um, yes. uh, trends in weather and um, uh, ceilings and floors for 
various locations on their super average. valuable for estimating. Right. So for 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 customers building contracts that include um, uh, seasonal totals and trying to create an, a 70 or 80% ceiling and a 20% floor. We've uh, calculated and uh, figured those out, uh, not just for the season, but we've done them monthly. We've done them per increment. So if you want to know how many two-inch storms, how many eight-inch storms, um, our records go back about 20 years, uh, and we've got good historical data in about 6,000 zip codes across the country. Nice. That's awesome. Along um, with the forensic work that I do, but that's, that's the fun work. I like being in court and challenged. Oh yeah. Yeah. That's, okay. <laughs> that's some cool stuff. So um, what do you think about the almanacs and these super long range forecasts? Do you guys do any of that stuff? Um, you know, it's fun to do that stuff and we do it. Um, we are long range meteorologist, uh, Jim Sullivan is um, from Ohio. Uh, he's a transplant here in New Jersey, super guy. He's also our chief meteorologist and he runs the uh, meteorological team here pretty much and uh, great forecaster, um, but also does our long range forecast. And he's done a couple of um, uh, webinars for us, um, uh, but with any long range forecast, you have to understand the reliability. When you're looking at a 24-hour and 48 forecast, typically 70 to 90% chance that the bulk of that is accurate. Three days out, 70% chance. Four to 10 days out, maybe 65% chance, 60% chance. Beyond 10 days, that accuracy starts to come down. When you're doing a long-range forecast, you really are looking at atmospheric trends and you're not looking at day-to-day. -day. So no one should be able to tell you what's happening on any particular day more than 10 or 15 days out. Even that's a long shot, but never 365 days out, 120 days out. So when and, these almanacs come out and people are looking at, you know, the whole season or like months ahead. Um, so I'm right. sure that, yeah. Talk to me about that. Like, well, uh, so the, the, let's, let's take the almanac for instance, the almanac will say that uh, February 2nd, nor'easter, uh, New England, parts of the mid Atlantic States. Um, and then on February 4th, um, there's a storm that moves off New Jersey and produces very little snow. Well, the Almanac will take credit for that and they'll say, hey, there was a storm, but it just missed the East Coast uh, because even the Almanac says plus or minus two days. Okay. So they'll, they'll give you a forecast plus or minus two days. That means a five day period in February. And what most people should know is that on average, it snows every five days in February. <laughs> so they pretty uh, much have it covered. Yeah, so they got it covered. They can pick any day, any day. You pick any day and you're covered. Um, is it going to be a big storm? Well, if if they get, if they're narrowly missed, then they got close. And from the, the outsider's perspective, that looks pretty good. It used to look pretty good to me when someone would say, yeah, it's going to snow on January 23rd. And I said, wow, they just missed it by two days. January 25th, it snowed and that storm just moved south. But 
if you start looking at climate and what typically happens, you realize that these are these are just normal occurrences. Mm-hmm. Um, and you're going to get more right than wrong. You'll get some wrong, but if you get 60% right, you're doing pretty good. Yeah. But it's really just based on climate. On the other hand, there are forecasters who look at what are called global teleconnections. So that means that they're looking at one part of the globe, something that's happening, and they're connecting it with an atmospheric pattern that occurs statistically in another part of the globe. So for instance, El Nino. Mm -hmm. El Nino present in the Pacific and, and colder than normal waters in the Pacific might relate to less hurricanes than normal in the Atlantic on average more times than not. So 60% of the time. And so there are relationships that are more than more than a cost coin, more than tossing a coin. Okay, so they're more than 50-50. But that's all you get with these long-term relationships. So when you have these long-term teleconnections that occur and you hear things like the NAO, the North Atlantic Oscillation, or the PDO, uh, Pacific Decadal Oscillation, and 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 they're and they're measuring all these long-term indices. Um, when a lot of them point to snow, you become a little more confident. December is going to be snowy. January is not going to be as snowy. But the confidence still should only be about 60% at best. Okay. It's rare that long-term indicators will give you a prediction of more than 60%. Okay. It's often 55%. So it's just a little bit better than flipping the coin. Hmm. So, you know, if you had enough money and you went to the casino and you always put it on black (laughs) uh, um, and you knew your odds were 55%, you'd win out. But clients and customers and users of long range forecasts should just look at that as a trend and then follow that trend. Uh, So, so we did put out a long range forecast. Jim said that he thought December would be an active month, which it has been. Uh, we'd see some cold air, especially the second and third half of uh, uh, second uh, half of um, December, which would generate maybe some first real Arctic air, and that has happened in parts of the country. Um, um, and we'll see where it goes from there. Yeah. Well, give us a little peek behind the curtain there. Um, is there anything really new and exciting that's going to revolutionize the world of weather? that we should be uh, aware of? <laughs> I, you know, I think um, technology is going to continue to speed up. I think our data sources will continue to produce faster and faster um, um, speeds. It's all about getting observations. Observational data is key to the models. So for instance, there's um, a a uh, couple products now um, where these they these drones in Europe are going and sampling weather data and immediately sending back data to be ingested into snow and ice forecast. Um, uh, webcam cool. technology getting better and better, faster and faster. Now some of the webcams can actually um, look at snow on the ground and estimate uh, how much snow is on the ground. Um, so that's useful. Those are useful tools. Um, so there is 
uh, this explosion of technology that's continuing. And to be honest, I can't keep up with it, but I'm picking and choosing what I, what I like best. But the future will be faster. It will be better in terms of data resolution. So you'll be able to pinpoint better forecast in smaller increments of location, basically. Mm -hmm. um, I don't. I don't think we're down to parking lot size yet, but <laughs> uh, but we're the radar technology is better. The forecasts have improved. People tell me that they haven't. The public tells me they haven't. But all of the data that we have suggests that they have. Yeah. Um, anything we didn't talk about, Frank? Um, any advice you have for snow contractors or audience here? Anything you want to circle back to or? Well, I mean, I would say it's important to have, to understand the meteorology. If you're not using a consultant, um, I would focus on one product you like best, as opposed to try to average several products. Because when you average several products, uh, there's what's called the zero factor and the zero, zero snowfall averaged in what 16 inches is eight. And if you have too many of those zeros, you're going to, end up with a really bad forecast. And um, some of the models um, uh, might underperform. So find one that you think is consistent, that works in your geographic area and use it and rely on that. Um, uh, I would stay away from television, broadcast weather and stick more with um, online weather or private consultant um, when it comes to that. Um, and if anyone wants to email me directly or questions, um, we don't provide forecast services across the country, but we provide them in certain geographic areas. But if, even if we don't provide them, I can refer you to perhaps another vendor that I'm familiar with that I trust, uh, et cetera. Um, always willing to talk about the subject. Cool. Oh, that's really awesome. Yeah, and I would really encourage people to go to weatherworksinc.com, check it out. Um, and there's some really good information on the website. And Frank, thank you for offering that as well. Um, and I just want to say thank you so much for taking time out. Um, again, I know this is a busy time of year and, and uh, we all have lots of things going on. So this is really interesting to me. I still love my weather ball every time I'm driving down I-96 in Grand Rapids. You know, before we turn the corner, my wife and I, you know, have to prognosticate about what it's going to be. Um, and that's always fun, but, um, no, everyone loves the weather. Everyone likes to talk about the weather. It's, it's maybe America's favorite pastime beyond. It baseball. is. It is. <laughs> and beat oh, up the oh. weather guy, right? Even, even my <laughs> wife still asks me for the forecast once in a while. Yeah. Well, invaluable service to the industry and, um, many of my clients, rave about your services. And um, I know from being involved with, um, you know, putting together forecasts um, and estimates and estimating programs and pricing snow, this super invaluable. So I really appreciate it, Frank. Well, thank you. Hey, Hope you have a great winter, great you holiday too. season. You too, and thank, thanks for the invite, Phil. It's always a pleasure. You're welcome. Take care, man. Take care. All right. Thank you for listening. We welcome suggestions for future guests or topics. Feel free to email me directly at phil at growthebench.com. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, become a subscriber today so you won't miss any future episodes. And don't forget to check out our upcoming events at snowfightersinstitute.com. Now go for it.